All right, Matthew 18, we'll start in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to himself a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Pretty serious, right? Okay, Matthew 19. Then children, this is Jesus again, then children were were brought to him that he might lay hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid, laid his hands on them and went away. Now, why did I just read those? I didn't read those passages so that you would say, oh my gosh, I better not ever cause my, one of my kids to sin, right? The reason I, I read these passages to you, and we can have all kinds of conversations about, like, Jesus, is he really talking about kids, or is he talking about childlike faith, all that. But it's very, very obvious as you read the Gospels, not just these two passages, as you read through the Gospels, and as you read through the Bible, it's incredibly clear that children are extremely important to God. Extremely important to God. And so what I want to lay before us today and remind us of is the fact that our children's ministry is not a secondary ministry. We do not have children's ministry so that we can worship and listen to a sermon in peace and quiet. That is not why we have children's ministry. There's a reason that our children's ministry has more manpower and more thought and more uh, passion and devotion uh, given to it than any other area of our church. And it's not even close, right? There is a ton of prayer and thought and work that goes into that children's ministry. And the reason it is that way is that, I'm just going to say this out loud, right? That is the single most important ministry of our church, bar none. And so what I want to do right now, before we move into our uh, little ceremony that we're going to have, I would just like to have everybody that serves in kids' church in any way, would you go ahead and stand up? This is not a way of shaming those who don't, right? Let's go ahead. Yeah. Now, you all saw who didn't stand up, right? You can talk to them later. I'm just kidding. Kind of. That's, I mean, that's a pretty high ratio. There's a ton of people that aren't here today, obviously. But this is an incredibly important ministry. An incredibly important ministry. It's not secondary to God, and it should not be secondary to us in any way, shape, or fashion. We do not guilt people into serving in kids' ministry because we desperately need more people. We want people to feel a pull from the Holy Spirit to serve in kids' ministry because our children are the most important part of our church. They are the generation that comes after us, that carries what we carry now. That's how important this is. It's not babysitting. The people that serve in children's ministry are actually helping shape the theology of your children. Which, by the way, you should be doing the other six days of the week. Right? Amen? All right. So, here we go. Uh, As children grow, it's important for us to understand that they reach uh, what we call milestones. 
right? Like they don't just like gradually grow. And oh, all of a sudden they're adult. They reach milestones. My uh, oldest son just reached a milestone. Um, He's a freshman in high school this year. And all that goes along with that, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you looking in the future. All that goes along with that. That's a major milestone. So he went to the state fair with a friend uh, Friday night, got home at midnight, right? My nine-year-old does not do that. That's a major milestone. And we also understand that we have milestones in our faith and we have milestones in our church. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to celebrate a couple of those milestones. So we can send them up. Are they in here? Oh, they're not lined up. All right, so if you're graduating from kindergarten and going into the first grade, would you please just come right on up here? There's one. Come on, Courage. We got one more. Tegan. Where you at, Tegan? Come on, baby. No, she doesn't want to come up. High fives? Yeah. Awesome. So, guys, she's coming. Mom's going to help her. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Your moms didn't tell you that I was going to do this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Can you guys tell me one thing that you learned about Jesus at Kids Church? That Jesus rose from the dead? High fives. Yes. So you guys are, are going to make a transition. Do you know what a transition is? A change, right? So what happened when you come to church? You go to kids' church, right? Your mom brings you in, signs you in, takes you to your class. So here's what's going to happen. You guys aren't little kids anymore, are you? You're big kids. That's right. What grade are you going to be encouraged? Sixth grade? Wow, awesome. What about you, Evan? First grade, yeah. So here's the deal. So what's going to happen at, on Sundays when you come to church now? You're going to come in here with your mom and dad. Do you know why you're going to do that? Because you get to sing with us, with the band or with Luke, whoever's up here. You get to sing with us. That's pretty cool, right? Do you know why? Because you're big kids now, and so you're going to learn how to worship with the adults. That's how old you are. That's pretty awesome, huh? Pretty cool. And then after we're done singing, I'll dismiss you, and you get to go to your class after we're done singing. So that would be normally right now. Does that sound fun? Yeah, because you're not little kids anymore. You're starting to become bigger kids, and so you're going to learn how to have church with the big kids. I'm a big kid. Amen. Right? So here's the other cool thing. Sometimes when we go through the changes and transitions, there's things to help us in those transitions. And so when you go to the back, Miss Shannon is going to give you a present to help you become big kids at church. Is that pretty cool? Tegan, do you want a present? She does. Awesome. So if you guys want to walk right back to Miss Shannon, and she is going to give you a present to help you guys. All right. So that's the first group. Now the second group. So if you are going into the fourth grade, fourth grade, come on up. Soraya? I know we have more than two. There's one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, five. All right, sweet. 
Yeah. You guys okay? All right, high fives. Come on, Ruby, don't leave me hanging. Okay, so you guys are all going into the fourth grade? Pretty cool. That's a big transition for some of you, isn't it? I know, it's shining to my eyes all the time. So, can you guys tell me something that you have learned? Oh, we got another one. Can you guys tell me something that you've learned in your class this last year? Maddie, what's one thing you learned in class last year? Anybody? One thing. You've been camping. All last year you were camping? Jesus loves us. Yeah. So you guys probably already know the transition that you're going through, right? Yeah. So the transition that's happening for you on Sunday mornings is that you don't have class anymore. Do you know why you don't have class anymore? Because you're not little kids. You're big kids. And not only, you were already big kids. Is that what you're going to say, Charlie? Yeah, you were already big kids. But here's the deal. No longer are you going to come in here and worship with us and then get dismissed to go to class. You get to listen to me every week. High fives? No, no high fives. Okay, but here's, the, here's why. You guys are getting older. You're getting a lot older. And I know you already think you're grown-ups, but you're not. But you're getting way older. So you now get to spend your Sundays with us. Do you know why? Because we know that you are ready for that. We're not doing something that you're not ready for. We know that you're ready for that. And guess what? We are going to be patient. We are going to be patient with you when you wiggle, when you can't sit still, when you're having a hard time listening. We understand that you're not an adult yet, but you're well on your way, and we know that you're ready for this change. Right? High fives. Come on, James. There you go. Awesome. So, to help you with this change and this transition, we also have some gifts for you. So if you would go back and see Miss Shannon, she will give you a present. All right. Let's pray for them real quick, and for us, because, I mean, Father, we thank you for our children. We thank you for the gift that they are. God, we pray that you would fill our hearts with more love and grace for them. Father, we take them for granted far too often. We treat them as inconveniences far too often. Give us your eyes to see them that we would treat them as the treasures that they truly are to you. And that they would, we would train them in the, in the way that they should go, Father, day and night. We ask these things in your name, amen. All right. Start your timers. Here we go. We are going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to finish up verse 4, so if you would stand with me, and we will read the words... Of God. <clears throat> I love the screen because I can see it now. It's not like back up here. Let me move over just a little bit. 
All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll start in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. These are the words of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let's try that again. These are the words of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So we are in chapter 4. Next week we'll start chapter 5, which is the last chapter of 1 Thessalonians. And here's the deal. Right? If we think back to the, the first part, we know that, that, that Paul, Timothy, and Silas uh, planted this church, started this church in Thessalonica, and they were there for probably around three weeks. Not a whole lot of time. Okay? Pretty impressive that they were able to start a church in three weeks took me over a year. Uh, I feel like I'm still doing it. Uh, we're, you know, we're still kind of a mess sometimes, uh, but we're getting there, aren't we? Three weeks. So then Paul was forced to leave because of persecution. His life was in danger. Uh, and so Paul was forced to leave, and he went to other towns and began doing the same thing in other towns as he traveled around. But there came a point in time where his anxiety, his, um, his concern for the church in Thessalonica grew to the point where he actually sent Timothy to check on them. And so the, the letter of 1 Thessalonians is a response to the report that he gets back from Timothy. Timothy goes to Thessalonica, checks in on the church, trains them, teaches them, and then comes back to Paul, gives him a report, and then uh, Paul writes this letter that we've been studying back to this church. And he spends the whole, pretty much the whole first three chapters uh, expressing his desire to see them and to come to them and celebrating their faith that, that he was so overwhelmingly uh, overjoyed to hear that they had. And then in chapter 4, he starts to go into some instruction. Uh, if you remember, he, um, he said in verse three, or chapter 3, verse 10, that he longed to, to equip that which was lacking in their faith. You remember that? We covered that uh, last week uh, or the week before. I can't remember. Um, but here's the deal. There were some things that they were lacking in their faith. And now it's important for us, and we covered this, to distinguish between rebuke and instruction, right? So there's not, uh, this isn't so much rebuke as it was uh, instruction. Paul understood that in three weeks, no one is going to be completely uh, knowledgeable in doctrine, theology, and the things of God. It's just not possible. It's just not possible. In fact, you can make the argument that a lifetime is not long enough uh, to complete, be completely filled with the knowledge of God. So Paul is writing the second part of uh, the first letter of Thessalonians is his instruction to them about some of the things that were lacking in their faith. And last week we talked about the, the word there that's used to equip is also used um, to describe fishermen mending their nets. Right, So uh, they didn't have nylon nets. They actually wove them together with uh, materials that they had. They didn't have plastic. 
right? So uh, those nets, would, they wouldn't last very long unless they were cleaned and they were meticulously mended and kept up. So uh, that's the same word that Paul uses to describe him equipping their faith. It's something that needs to be completed, something that needs to be uh, fixed and refined as they move forward in their lives. And one of the things, and we talked about this last week, was uh, there were some issues with uh, sexual immorality in that city. And so Paul was instructing them on how to handle that and how not to handle that. We covered that last week. Um, man, that'd be a bummer of a section to do for Family Sunday, right? Um, but so here we are. We're in chapter 4, the second half of chapter 4, and there's another thing that was on their hearts that Paul wants to address. This was based on the report that he gets back from Timothy. Timothy's like, hey, there's some things going on that you might need to address. Uh, and so the passage that we're in today is one of those things. So chapter 4, we'll look at verse 13 and 14 to start. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Who's he talking about? Right? I don't want you to be uninformed about the people in the back taking a nap right now when they should be listening to the sermon. Is that obviously not? Right? He's talking about people that have died. Right? We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even though, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So, if we look at that first, that first part of, of uh, verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. So, it, it's very clear from his terminology and the words he uses right there that this is a new subject to them. Right? We don't want you to be uninformed, implying that they are. Right? So there are some things about their faith that because Paul was only there for three weeks, he wasn't able to complete their training in eschatology. That's the, you know, the, the end of things, the things to come. Uh, when we're talking about, like, Paul obviously didn't put them through that class. So he's writing in this letter, and he's saying, we don't want you to be uninformed about these things. Now, here's probably uh, what was happening. Uh, as we live, people die. Right? And so uh, in the early church, in the first century, this is the first generation of the church, there was this thinking and this anticipation that they had, and rightfully so, that Jesus was coming back. And they expected him to come back any day. And so because of their uneducation about some of these things uh, and some of the things about their faith, every time someone would die, they would get incredibly disappointed. And so Paul's instruction here is about that, is about those who have fallen asleep. And then in verse 14 he says, so that you don't grieve as others do who have no hope. So there's a distinction that Paul wants to lay out for them between those who have fallen asleep as a part of the church and those who have no hope, right? There's a distinction being drawn there, and we're going to get into that. Now, Here's a couple things. Number one is this. Does Paul say, we don't want you to grieve? No. No. The distinction he's, the distinction he's making is between those who grieve in hope and those who grieve who have no hope. But we grieve. Most of, in this room, of us in this room have known real grief. 
because of loss. I got a text literally as we were worshiping from a friend who just lost another close friend of his, and he's grieving. I have a pastor friend in Seattle who, uh, a guy in his church was actually the one who uh, stole the airplane and committed suicide. So him and his whole church have been grieving. Those of us in this room have experienced death, loss, and we are grieving still to this day. But there's a big difference between the way we grieve and the way the world grieves. Is there not? And so the instruction that Paul was wanting to give these people was that we do not grieve as those who do not have hope. We grieve with hope. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason that we grieve with hope. If you look at the beginning of verse 14, he says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Now, that little, uh, that little word, the Greek word is actually gar, right? That word that we see as for is actually, in Greek is actually the word gar. Actually can be also translated because. So we don't grieve as those who have no hope because we believe that Jesus died and rose again. What does that have to do with people that have died, Paul? So you can see the gap in their, uh, their knowledge of the Christian faith. Yes, Jesus died and rose again, but this person died. And so Paul's training, Paul's instruction to them, Paul's education in their lives and in their faith was about those who had died. He says, we don't grieve as those who have no hope because, or for, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Now, another little word there. Right after for, we see the word since, right? Uh, Also can be translated if. Now, this is really important because Paul's laying out uh, basically an if-then scenario. Does that make sense? So, uh, if this certain thing is true, then it follows that another thing is also true. That's an if-then scenario, right? So, here's what he says. Um, I'm getting behind or ahead of myself. If we believe, this is, gonna, this is my paraphrase of what we just read in this passage. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, then it stands to reason that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Therefore, we have no reason to grieve like the rest who do not have any hope. Those who have fallen asleep in Jesus will return with him. He did not want them to be uninformed about the hope that they had. You see, they had, they had a belief that somehow those people that died before Jesus came back were at some kind of disadvantage or they wouldn't, be able to, or they wouldn't take part in Jesus' glorious return that they were so amazingly looking forward to. And Paul's instruction to them is, no, 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 the dead in Christ will rise first. Now I'm getting ahead of myself. They are not at a disadvantage. If anything, we are at a disadvantage to what they are going to experience. All right, verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. 
This is why we don't grieve without hope. Because those who have fallen asleep before the coming of Jesus are not at a disadvantage. They will not miss out on anything. In fact, you might even, and Paul will argue here in another page or so that it's actually the opposite. We do not grieve as those who do not have hope. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul kind of lays this idea out before us. He says, For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, he's talking about our body, right? The tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed. We have a building from God. Now, this is interesting because he's actually also drawing their attention back to the Old Testament. Uh, what was the temple in the Old Testament? Like before the nation of Israel became a nation and built the temple, what was, what was the temple? It was a tent, right? The tabernacle was a tent. So he's actually drawing this parallel between this idea that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? He says if the tent that is our earthly home, it's temporary, is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan longingly to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we, not, uh, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for us this very thing, God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Amen? Yeah. So he's saying, man, we groan inwardly. We are in this temporary tent, and we have burdens, and we so long to be relieved of those burdens. And then he, he equates being with the Lord as walking by sight, right? No longer will we have this, this need to walk by faith and not by sight because we will see him. We will be with him, and that is a great advantage. In fact, it, in, in Paul's letters towards the end of his life, he has this moment where he's writing, and he says, man, I long to go and to be with him, but I know for your sake that I need to stay here. Paul's making clear that he doesn't want to stay here anymore. He wants to go be with Jesus. So his instruction to the, the church in Thessalonica is that, man, they are. Our grief is about separation from those we love. Our grief is something inside of us that longs to be with those people. And that grief is God-given. That longing to be with them is God-given. But we don't grieve without hope. Because not only are they at a disadvantage and they will rise first, but we will be caught up with them. And as I say that, I picture all the people that we have lost. When Jesus comes back, we look up and we see not only Jesus, but we see as if, that, right, as if Jesus wouldn't be enough. That's how amazing this is. But all the people that we have lost in Christ coming with him. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Most of the time that this passage is cited, 
It's cited in reference to um, argue for or refute this idea that, that we know as the rapture, right? I don't think that's the point of the passage. The point of the passage is Paul writing to this church who was deeply in grief over people that had died before Jesus came back, and we thought, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? They didn't make it. And Paul's encouragement to them was that, no, 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 these people are at an incredible advantage. They are with Jesus right now. Remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross? You will be with me in paradise. When? Today. Today. Now, I will say this, and we're going to cover this in a couple weeks as we get to 2 Thessalonians. Um, the word rapture is nowhere, nowhere in the Bible. Um, yeah. The word we see here in verse 15 is the, is the coming of the Lord. The word there, the Greek word is parousia. And we're going to see that in 2 Thessalonians. And so we're going to talk about it then. We're not going to talk about it now because I don't think that's the point of this passage. The point of this passage is as we get to verse 18. What does he say? Verse 17 closes with, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And verse 18 says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. He's comforting them. These people were in pain. They were discouraged about those who had fallen asleep. And he says, we have no reason to be discouraged about those who have fallen asleep. You and I have no reason to be discouraged about those who have fallen asleep. We grieve. Man, we grieve. But we grieve with hope. As we look at the, this book of 1 Thessalonians and as we zoom back and we look at Scripture as a whole and we look at our faith in light of that Scripture, all of these things uh, are instructions so that the world might see Jesus. I'm going to turn 40 in less than a year. And in my short time on this earth, I cannot think of a single way that the world more clearly sees the truth of our faith than this. The world doesn't grieve with hope, you guys. It doesn't. You've seen it. I've seen it. We send thoughts. We send prayers. Um, we say... Rest in peace. Not we, they. Grasping for something that they do not possess. Grasping for a peace that is unattainable for them. But we do not grieve without hope. We have a hope that is sure. Why? Because we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead. Why is that so significant? Why not? Why can't it be, yeah, Jesus died? Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we won't. This is why Paul says that uh, if, this is, if this isn't true, then we are to be most pitied above all people. Because we have the hope that it's false. But we don't. 
We believe that Jesus not only died, but that he rose from the dead. And that's important for us because his death paid for our sins and his resurrection means that we will rise too. That's why it's so important. It's why it's such a central part of not only our teaching, but that's why it's such a central part of Paul's writings. In fact, he says this is of first importance. Not only that Christ died, but that he rose from the grave that we will rise from the grave, that we will rise from the dead, and that, as verse 17 says, we will be with him forever. Like forever, forever. Eternity forever. Like my mind can't even grasp that. It never ends. We will never be separated from those who have fallen asleep in the Lord ever again. We grieve now for a short period of time, and that grief is real, and it's painful, but it will not last. It won't last. We will be with them and we will be with Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's the truth. That's the hope that Paul is preaching to the Thessalonians. And that's the hope that we have to understand. Because that's a huge way that the world sees him. We know this, don't we? We've seen it with our own eyes. The world doesn't know this hope, and it doesn't know what to do with this hope. It can't explain it. The world cannot explain the hope that you and I have. But we can. And we can lay this hope before them in the way that we grieve and in the way that we live. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for dying for us, Lord. Thank you for for defeating death for us. You did not stay dead. You conquered the grave. And you have promised us again and again and again and again throughout your word that you are coming back. You will return, Father. And you will bring with those who are with you thank you that we have such a comfort in this hope. I pray that we would rest in it, that we would live in it, Father, that it would shape us, that it would transform us. We pray these things in your name, amen.